We're in a short four-part series during this holiday period called A Moment in History. The idea being we start with a snapshot in history. And then we step back to consider the backstory and then ask the question, well, why does this moment matter at all? On Good Friday, we looked at the moment when Jesus breathed his last. On Easter Sunday, we looked at the moment of the Great Commission by the risen Jesus. And today, we consider the moment Jesus ascends into heaven. And I'm going to argue that the ascension is seriously underrated by many. We make a big deal about Jesus' arrival at Christmas. We rightly emphasize and celebrate Jesus' death and his resurrection at Easter. But we rarely give much attention to his departure. My aim this morning is to convince you that in the same way that you should never think of Jesus' cross without his resurrection, well, you should never think about his resurrection without his ascension. They go hand in hand together. And so my big question for us is, why does it matter that Jesus ascended? To answer that question, we'll pause twice in Luke 24 on our way through the backstory to consider firstly fish, secondly forgiveness. And I'll close with some implications. But first, the moment. Look at Luke 24, verse 50. Jesus leads them out to Bethany. Bethany, last mentioned by Luke in chapter 19, the scene of Jesus' triumphal entry. A donkey, paths of cloaks, blessed is the king, rang out the crowd's shouts. Well, fast forward. Jesus is on foot, headed away from Jerusalem. The large crowd is gone. But I want you to imagine that you're there, walking with the small group following him. All of a sudden, Jesus stops. He lifts his hands. You see the scars again 40 days earlier. And verse 51, he blesses you and them. Every word from his lips is filled with such great love. Your eyes are locked on his lips, listening to what he's saying. So are the eyes of those around you. And all of a sudden your gaze begins to move upward. And their gaze begins to move upward too. As Jesus begins to ascend, he continues to pray over you, hands lifted high, voice becoming more distant until he is gone. Luke writes, he left them and was taken into heaven. First reactions. Some of you, if you're honest, there's no real reaction just yet. You were late this morning, you missed the coffee cart, and you really wished you didn't. There's another possible reaction at this moment. Absolute rubbish. I mean, seriously, an ancient man teleported into space. Another reaction is a little softer. It's a friend you're invited to church who says later over lunch, you don't really believe that sort of stuff, do you? On the other end of the spectrum, though, there's the vigorous nodder. Jesus was taken up into the heaven. Yep, 
I know that already, so let's cut to the chase. What's the application this week? And of course, there'll be other less dramatic responses around those two. But can I just say two things up front? Firstly, it doesn't matter how many decades that you've been a Christian, the ascension of Jesus is a little weird. It's the story of a man who appears to be taken up into the clouds. But secondly, the great thing about Luke's gospel is that he writes it to skeptics, he writes to Christians lacking confidence, he writes to those who've forgotten how to worship. In fact, worship is the great climax of Luke's whole book. Chapter 1 began in the temple with great anticipation, and Luke ends his gospel without disappointment. Verse 52. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Well, there is our moment in history. There is Luke's snapshot of Jesus' ascension. There is the response that he's driving us toward. So if you struggle to worship as a Christian at the moment, then pay attention to Jesus' ascension. One writer observes, the world is full of ascension language. Things can be on the up, but they can also take a downward turn. We want to rise in our career and avoid a downward spiral. People are lifted out of obscurity and and they rise above the rest of the crowd. We love stories of successful people because we want to emulate the heights to which they've risen or perhaps we want secrets that will bring them down in our estimation so we do not feel such ascension failures by comparison. The hope of ascension is a basic human aspiration. And he's right, isn't he? We all want to ascend. But why is that? Well, come with me to Luke's ascension backstory to find out why. Firstly, starting with fish. Fish, Luke 24, verse 36. If you want to understand Jesus' ascension, go back 40 days to the evening of the first Easter Sunday. Why? Because Jesus' ascension is tied to his bodily resurrection. Look with me. A group huddles together inside a room in Jerusalem. Cleopas and his friend are still panting. (gasps) Legging the 11-kilometre Emmaus Road after dark will do that to you. Uber Eats with the risen Jesus was the urgent update, though, for the 11 and those with them. We pick it up at verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them. Can you imagine that scene? How would you feel a few days after attending a funeral and someone's organised a small get-together, a chance to remember, swap stories, grieve together? Now imagine the dead person appears and says, peace be with you. And also with you, the good Anglicans all say. No, they don't. Luke says, they were startled, frightened, troubled. If you're someone who finds it at all hard to believe that Jesus rose from the dead, then you're in good company. 
these early disciples were freaked out. Did you notice what ascends first, verse 38? Why do doubts rise in your minds? Jesus challenges them. Their minds are spinning, so he gives them hard physical evidence. Verse 39. Look, his scars are on full display. Touch, see, see, it is I myself. Verse 41, they still don't believe it. And I don't know about you, but I appreciate something about these disciples not being easily persuaded. Because it shows us that they're not just a bunch of gullible, swallow anything, numb nuts. They didn't just believe it because they wanted it to be true, and neither should you. There are many today who say, I don't believe Jesus did literally rise from the dead. But I still love the Easter story. Why? Because Easter is inspiring. Well, let me just say that is totally inadequate and wrong. Why? Let me give you three brief reasons. Firstly, because of the fish. Did you notice it? Verse 42, a piece of broiled fish that Jesus took and ate. Fairly insignificant detail that it was broiled, isn't it? Exactly. It matters because it serves no purpose except this. It is the kind of redundant detail that you would expect in an eyewitness account. And Luke's gospel is full of them. Place names, timestamps, world figures, physical emotions, details about even the way the fish was cooked. Ah, but someone says, I think of Easter more like a legend, growing more embellished over time. Well, reason number two why that won't do either. Because the Gospels are all dated within 30 to 60 years after Jesus' death. Add to this Paul's supporting letters, some dated around 20 years after the events. Now, think about that time frame for a moment. About 20 years ago, where were you for 9-11? Some of you have kids or grandkids who weren't alive. They don't know whether 9-11 actually happened or not. But they can speak to people who are alive today who witnessed the news unfold. 9-11 was a big-time event, and it changed the world we live in. Now listen to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15. Having lifted off the eyewitnesses to the risen Jesus, verse 6 reads, After that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. In other words, stacks of people saw Jesus alive. It was a big-time event. It changed the world we live in. And 20 years may have passed, but most of them are still alive. So if you're not so sure, ask them. These are not legends. They are eyewitness testimonies. Are you say? I see what you're trying to do. You're actually trying to convince me that Jesus literally rose from the dead. Yes. Reason number three. The Gospels are full of counterproductive content. Jesus crying out that God had abandoned him. Peter's three denials of Jesus. If Peter's in on a conspiracy, 
don't you think that would be the first scene that would get taken out? And then the first responders to the tomb. We're told early in Luke 24 they were women. Well, what's wrong with that? The time period. Luke wasn't writing to 21st century moderns. No, not in the first instance. No, if your aim is to convince first century readers that Jesus rose from the dead, none of the above are helpful inclusions. The only plausible reason to keep them in the accounts is that they did actually happen. And you want to convince me of all this today? Shamelessly. Why? Because we heard last week the resurrection isn't just a fact of interest. No, Acts 17 warns us the resurrection is a confrontation. Jesus' resurrection means that one day you will meet him. And if you're, not, if you're on his team, seeing him will be a great joy for you. And if you're not on his team, it'll be unspeakably terrifying. Well, we had our neighbours over for the first time earlier this week. They're not churchgoers. They asked about what we did for our Easter long weekend. I decided against leading with the resurrection is a confrontation line. But we shared openly about going to church. And I'm sharing with you regulars here, not because we're expert evangelists, far from it, but I want to grow this year. I want to grow in engaging those who live around me in being a more faithful witness to my neighbours. And I hope you do too. Because I know my neighbours will one day see Jesus face to face. And I know your neighbours will one day see Jesus too. So we need to keep stirring up one another. We need to be bold and intentional with those who God has put around us. We'll come back to our topic, the ascension. If you struggle today to believe that a man could be taken up to heaven, then start with the resurrection. Because that is the great game changer. Why not check out the Christianity Explored course starting next week because Luke, Mark, Matthew, John, they want us to look at the eyewitness facts. Yes, even the fish. Well, secondly, and more briefly, forgiveness, verses 44 to 49. If you want to understand the importance of Jesus' ascension, the second key piece in the backstory is to know the unfolding plan at the heart of God. Because central to God's purposes in our world today is one thing, forgiveness. Having just polished off the fish, Jesus says, verse 44, this is what I told you must happen must be fulfilled that is written about me in a law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Well, our two-year-old Archie has watched so many Fireman Sam episodes now that when I read the Bible to him at night and something appears wrong, like a burning bush or a lost sheep, he turns to me and goes, ew, 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 which translates to call Fireman Sam. Well, I've definitely got a way to go with training Archie in his biblical theology, but there is a similar kind of instinct that we want, isn't there? 
to read your Old Testament and have a mental alarm go off, not for Fireman Sam, but as a pointer to the real hero at the center of the Bible, to Jesus. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And straight away, he hones in on three things next. See the first two in verse 46. This is what is written. The Messiah will firstly suffer, secondly rise from the dead. Friday, tick, fulfilled, done. Sunday, tick, fulfilled, done. In other words, if you had a mind supernaturally open to understand the Scriptures, what would you see? You would see that the very heart of God's sovereign plans is a promised king from the line of David whose triumph would be fulfilled by suffering as a servant and being wounded. Why? For the forgiveness of our sins. See the third thing, purposed by God in verse 47. It's that repentance for the forgiveness of sins must be announced, preached, proclaimed, because God wants to save people from every nation. Every person needs to hear the message about forgiveness for what? Sin. Because what's sin? It's not about doing wrong things mainly. It's the universal attitude of our hearts. Psalm 8 tells us, humanity was made by God to be a royal family. We were made in the image of God, to rule over his world, crowned with glory and honor. And yet every one of us has adopted a basic heart attitude toward God, where instead of acknowledging, thanking, and worshiping the one who made us, gives us life and breath and every good thing, we treat God like he's nothing. In our sinfulness, we try to make a name for ourselves. We try in vain to ascend. Why? Because we're all wired with a hunger to return to the throne. But we're all fallen. We're all completely lost, living under God's righteous judgment, living under the reign of death, even princes. But the best news in the world is that God sent his son into the world to seek and to save the lost. That's God's heart, salvation. And now that the resurrection age has broken in, God wants everyone, everywhere to repent. To repent. It isn't so much about saying sorry. It's got to do with who's going to rule your life. Who's going to be king in your life? It's turning away from self-rule and coming under the lordship of Jesus, and you can do it today. You see, at the heart of God's plan is the death and resurrection of Jesus. And that needs to be proclaimed to everyone. Because at the heart of God is his great, forgiving, redeeming love. Well then, the ascension isn't such a big deal after all. Well, not quite. 
the great redemptive events of the Passover, the Exodus, the journey to the Promised Land, the great prophetic expectation of a new creation, it all points us ultimately toward Jesus. You see, when the Christian looks at the ascension with the whole of the Scriptures in mind, They see a redemption that is far exceeding of the first. They see a far greater exodus. They see the Son himself becoming the Passover lamb, taking the judgment we deserve in our place as the true Israel. And God vindicates his obedience by raising him up again, revealing his risen Son as the ultimate King of glory, the one who fulfills Psalm 24 by triumphantly exiting ascending to those ancient doors, ahead of his people. He leads us through a new exodus, out of this dominion, out of the darkness, into his kingdom of light, the new heaven and the new earth, soon to be revealed. Do you see why they worshipped him? Because Jesus is the king of the universe. Now pause, we're almost done. But do you remember our original question? Why does it matter that Jesus ascended? In the backstory, we've seen, firstly, through the fish, that we can't understand Jesus' ascension apart from his bodily resurrection. We've seen, secondly, through forgiveness, that we can't understand Jesus' ascension apart from God's loving, redemptive plan. Jesus' life death, resurrection, and ascension together win our forgiveness. And so repentance must be proclaimed to all the nations. Why? Because Jesus is the king of the universe. But hang on. Why does this moment matter at all? Well, four brief implications. What might it look like to be captured by Jesus' ascension? Firstly, the ascension brings us freedom, knowing that there is now a human seated on a throne in heaven ruling the universe, resolves our inner hunger to return to the throne. And that should really humble us, because we realize we don't need to try and make a name for ourselves, or our kids, or our grandkids. We don't need to prove that our existence matters through work, or study, or parenting, If you're joined to the risen, ascended Christ by faith, then you're free. Free from being a slave to this world and its obsessions. Because Ephesians 2.6 tells us we're already seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Secondly, the ascension promises us peace. Because now we have a high priest in heaven who intercedes for us. We can have peace even from crippling guilt. So whatever your worst sin is your greatest source of shame, you can let it stop eating you up. Because in Revelation 5, John tells us that in heaven now stands a lamb who was slain. Thirdly, the ascension fills us with boldness. In John 16, Jesus tells us his departure is to our great advantage because he will send us a helper. The spirit of truth, we haven't been abandoned by Christ. No, He's closer than ever before by His Spirit. And the Holy Spirit empowers our witness. So let's be bold in talking to others about Jesus. And finally, the ascension fuels our hope and longing. Because even in our darkest moments, a crippling illness 
the loss of a mother, of a father, a marriage that's ended, the death of a child, when all hope seems gone, remember his promise, John 14, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. Well, as the band comes up, Luke writes in Acts chapter 1. They were looking intently up into the sky. As he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And so God's people cry out, Come, Lord Jesus! Amen.